Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. I want to start off the show today giving you guys props because yesterday, if you uh, remember, we talked a lot about the fact that my new book was going to be be being released. And uh, I, I came on and I said, look, we are ranked at I think it was like 299 or 300 in the country or something along those lines. Uh, My new book, Republicans Buy Sneakers 2, should be in every bookstore in America today. And certainly, I was talking about the Amazon ranking. And this is pretty crazy, and this is pretty extraordinary, and I want to legitimately thank all of you. Uh, You drove my book, and right now we're sitting at number 27, the number 27 book in the entire country on Amazon. You guys made my book. The number 18, I think, is the highest it got bestseller in the entire country. Uh, my publisher is Harper Collins. They said it's unheard of for a sports book to come out of the gate and be that popular. We were one of the best-selling books in all of America yesterday, and the expectation is that we're going to be one of the best-selling books all week. And that we have a very good chance. The New York Times bestseller list is not a direct reflection of which books sell the best. If it were, we would 100% be on it. It's some sort of complicated algorithm that they create based on how your book sells in a variety of different places. As opposed to just going to the actual data and saying, okay, these books sold the 15 best in the country this week. Uh, There's a lot of different complicated factors associated with it. But the response has been overwhelming. And I just want to thank you guys because it's been over a decade since I published a book. So I'm 39 now. I published my first book, uh, Dixieland Delight, about SEC football and going around to all 12 football stadiums in, I believe it was 2007. So that was 11 years ago. And if you write a book, 
anytime you do something creative, you create something out of nothing, and then you go on tour, there is a uh, – it's really humbling, typically. And I know everybody who's ever been a musician or a stand-up comic or any kind of performance-based art where you have to show up in front of a crowd knows the feeling that is involved in something like this. When you go and do a book signing, you have no idea who's going to be there. You have no idea if anyone is going to show up. And I always remember uh, one day I drove down all the way to Birmingham, Alabama, to a uh, Books a Million store down outside Birmingham, north side of town. And I sat at a table for two hours, and not one person bought a book. And I don't know how many people are listening right now who have ever been in that kind of situation where you are in a public venue, you are sitting there, and no one comes to your event. This is 11 years ago. Uh, and as after I published my first book, and you feel pretty good about yourself, and as you sit there for two hours, no one comes by. Now look, I've done a lot of different events over the years. I've done live radio shows from gas stations in the middle of nowhere. I have done a, uh, I have done a ton of different public appearances. When you write a book and no one shows up or buys your book, it is a humbling experience. And so a couple of things that that really kind of struck me today. First of all, it makes the success of this book feel that much sweeter because whether you like me or not, I have been grinding every day for about 15 years doing what I do and building up an audience. And to have you guys respond as well and as quickly as you have to this book uh, feels amazing. But also, it teaches you a lesson about the degree to which you have to push on even though you don't get immediate positive feedback. And I feel like in today's day and age, especially in social media, so many kids out there and so many adults expect that they're going to get immediate positive feedback for the things that they're working on. And that often case, oftentimes is not the case. Uh, and the lesson that I learned from sitting there for a couple of hours, because you've got a lot of time to sit around and think when you're uh, there sitting at a desk with all your books stacked up beside you and nobody comes, is the power and necessity of grit and toughness, which probably matters even more now today than it ever has before. And also, I have never walked past any author in a bookstore or in any kind of public venue and seeing them sitting by themselves there and not bought a book since then. Because I know that feeling. It doesn't matter what the book is. It can be a cookbook. It can be a, uh, can be a book about you know how, how girls can braid their hair. It doesn't matter what the book is. I will buy it because you know the challenge that that author is going through and the disconnect in many ways between writing a book, which is a very private process. You are sitting in front of your computer screen by yourself trying to put the best words that you can onto the screen in front of you. And eventually a few people are going to read it before it gets published. But by and large, writing is an isolating process that then requires you to be public once it's done. And I just think that uh, as I was thinking about and reflecting on the success that you guys have helped to make happen here with this new book debuting as high as it has in the in the book universe. 
Um, I just I, I really wanted to say thank you, but I also want to impress upon everybody who is starting off their day today that success is not immediate. And I feel like there are a lot of people who expect that it should be. And so when they face the first measure of adversity, they curl up in the fetal position and they don't continue to paddle. And so if you love something, my advice would be to fight for it, to do everything you can to continue to get better at that craft, whatever it may be, whether it's going to give you some sort of financial reward or whether the satisfaction is entirely internal and not external. The other thing I would say, and I think this is really important, and this is in my book, but I want to say it on the radio too. If you think someone is doing a good job, tell them. Um, I feel like in today's day and age, social media marinates in negativity. Much of what people tell you is negative feedback. And that's because a lot of people on social media are unhappy and they want to drag you down into their unhappiness with them. It's easier to tear down than it is to build up. And I'm successful now. I'm nearly 40. I'm 39 years old. I don't want to go Mike Gundy on you, but I'm a man. I'm 40. But there are a lot of people out there, guys and girls across this entire country, who are not there, who are working as hard as they can, and they're not making the money that they want to, or maybe they're not even sure that they're going to be able to make a living doing what they are doing. But yet you may see their talent and you may recognize it. And I feel like the right word at the right time can make a tremendous difference. In my book, I give you a couple of examples of that. But I want to thank you guys so much for what you've done for the book in the first day that it has been out. But the thing that I would encourage all of you to do I thank all of you, but if you can take the time to find somebody out there today that you think is doing a good job and go tell them that, it can make all the difference in the world. And by the way, I don't mean somebody who is already insanely rich at what they are doing. You don't need to go tell The Rock, hey, you're doing a good job, buddy. He's making $50 million a year. When you become successful... You get tons of people who want to tell you how good of a job you're doing. What you need to do is go find people who have not yet been successful, who are struggling right there on the edge between are they going to be able to do this for a living or are they not, and tell them, you know what, I appreciate your work. doesn't matter what they do. Track those people down. That's when a word of positivity makes a tremendous difference. Maybe it's somebody in your local radio market. Maybe it's somebody on your local television station. Maybe it is somebody that you have seen that has a uh, that has uh, since been doing artwork. You know, maybe you're you enjoy going into art galleries and you look at something and you think, man, this person's work is really impressive, uh, and they're doing another job. Find somebody, whoever that person is. Maybe it's a friend of yours. Maybe it's a friend of yours, and you haven't been as supportive of something that they are trying to do, which is new. All of those can make a tremendous amount of difference. Again, it's easy to be negative. It's easy, especially in a social media age, to decide that you hate somebody or you hate something. It's not very productive. It's not very conducive to excellence. And I'm past that stage now, but a decade ago, I would have loved to have heard 
a fraction of the positivity that I get on a daily basis or if I have gotten with the release from this book. And I'm not saying don't tell me that you love the book. Don't say that you love me. I Look, I appreciate all the positivity, but it really doesn't impact me very much now because I am in that position now where I make a living getting to do what I love and I don't have to wonder, am I good enough to do this? Am I going to be able to make a living doing this? Is my work getting better? And for everybody out there who is working on something and not necessarily getting positive feedback every day, uh, keep the grind up. And for everybody out there who is struggling this morning, you're wondering maybe, hey, should I be doing this? Am I good enough? Am I work? All you can control is your effort. Everything else is external and has no control over you. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Every Wednesday morning at the start of hour two, my plan is to make this our anonymous mailbag live on the radio. I solve all the problems of the Outkick audience. I have no idea how this is going to go. This is an experiment. The anonymous mailbag on Outkick is the most popular weekly article we do. People can uh, write in to that site uh, and uh, and give me any problem they have, and I can solve it. And now my thought is, why not try to do this live on the radio as well to start off the day across the nation solving the OutKick universe's problems? We have got a ton of calls to go to. Now, here's the other thing. Dub is our new call screener. A lot of pressure on Dub here because he has to tell me in order which of these calls I should go to based on the quality of the uh, of the call i believe we also have a live uh like what's a billboard or whatever you want to call it to bring in the anonymous mailbag now that danny g put together i haven't heard this let's cue the music boys you've got mail mother- anonymous mailbag if there was a problem yo i'll solve it all right there we go that is the intro dub who should we go to first Tennessee. Murfreesboro, Tennessee, with a problem. Obviously, you are not identifying yourself. You are not saying what your name is. You are just going straight to your question with the geographic location connected to it. If the geographic location is too much, you can just give us your state. What you got for me, uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee? Man, so uh, the problem problem here what we got is i'm a vols fan and a texans fan what do we do clay you're a tennessee vol this is an easy question you're a tennessee vol fan and you're a houston texan fan that's a bad combination yes, houston Texans sitting right now at zero and three university of tennessee at two and two uh I, I think you need to just uh, kind of accept the fact that your team suck there's no easy answer for that when your team suck they suck tennessee is awful they're 2-2. Two and two. They're going to get their brains beat in by Georgia this week, Auburn the next game, and Alabama the week after that. Probably going to be a combined score of like 160-30. to 30. It's going to be really ugly. Houston Texans, I think, are going to lose this weekend to the Indianapolis Colts, fall to 0-4. Uh, I think you need to fire Bill O'Brien would be one answer. I think Bill O'Brien has been awful. I think he's kind of a jerk. I don't think he's been very successful with the Houston Texans. So if I were you... I would want a new head coach if I were the Houston Texans. All right, that was not very difficult. That was an easy question. What do we got next? Let's go to Chicago. Go into Chicago. What you got for me, Chicago? Uh, yeah, quite. Thanks for having me on, bud. I'm looking forward to reading your new book. Uh, my question is, this weekend we got a text from our sister-in-law. They're wanting to change up the Christmas plans. 
we've always had stuff at my wife's parents, and uh, that's right in the middle of our house and my sister-in-law's house. So now we're looking at about a two-hour drive as opposed to about a 45-minute drive. What's the play here? Do I step in and do I tell my wife I don't want to go to Christmas, or do I just suck it up and go to the in-laws that's two hours away? The kicker is we got a two-year-old daughter, so they don't have kids. We do. So you're, you used to go to your, so sorry, let me just get some, you used to go to your wife's, uh, to, to, you're going, tell me again, you're, you, what's changed? You have sorry, a longer drive, but what has changed? You used to go to which house and now you're going to which house? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't understand the question. I, I, I am the King Solomon of the internet, but i got to have a better uh, understanding of the question here. So, Chicago, what I'm asking you is, what has changed? Succinctly, what has changed? Oh, the distance of our travel. Instead of yeah, but where are you going? Drive. All right, hold on a sec. you you got to do a better job of con- conveying the, uh, the question here. All right, for everybody out there listening. When I was in law school, the most important thing you do very often when you argue a case is you have to be able to sum up the case in a sentence. When I taught creative writing at Vanderbilt University, I would say to everybody who was in the class, in order to tell a great story, you have to be able to succinctly describe what your story is in a sentence before you tell it doesn't mean you can't add a lot of details to it but if you think about it you need a tv guide version of what your story is this story confused me and i'm having to go back in for specifics so chicago succinctly what is the problem here the problem is i don't want to have to drive an additional hour out of my way to go to christmas when we could very easily have it at my mother-in-law's house, which is a neutral point of our house and the sister-in-law's. Okay, so the problem here is, I'm going to thank you for the call, is that you're having to now go to your sister-in-law's house instead of your mother-in-law's house. That's the problem. And the sister-in-law's house is further away. So my first thought here is, dealing with in-laws is a major issue for every person who is in a relationship. Because at the point you're married, you're probably used to whatever quirks or eccentricities that your family has. But when you move into a new relationship, you have to deal with it. So my first thought is that probably the sister-in-law is doing this. This is my guess. Because she's trying to take the responsibility off of the mom. Right? It is a lot of work to have everybody come over to your house and to have to cook, and to have to clean, and to have the responsibility of Thanksgiving or Christmas. So while you're sitting around saying, oh, this drive is going to be longer to get to my sister-in-law's house, my bet would be that the sister-in-law actually thinks that she is helping out your mother-in-law. And if the sister-in-law and the mother-in-law, you got a mom-daughter situation going on there, they probably have a lot closer relationship than you do with your mother-in-law. So my advice would be to suck it up. This is not a battle worth fighting. You got a two-year-old. It stinks. Put on a, uh, go buy an iPad with a video camera, uh, not a video camera, but like a video play system. And if your kids are anything like my kids, if you plop on the show, they don't even want to get out of the car. Like my three-year-old just turned four years old. When he's sitting watching Infinity Wars on the Avengers, he will stay in the car and keep watching the movie when my wife gets home. 
Like, we'll pull into the garage and we'll be like, all right, you ready to go in? And I'll be like, no, I want to watch the Infinity Wars. So we'll just have to open the door and just leave him sitting in there so he can finish watching his movie. So the kid argument on the drive, probably not going to pan out. If it is a big deal, go buy a new iPad or new like a screen like that, buy a movie, put it on, your kid will be fine. All right, who's up next, Dub? New York. New York, what you got for me? What's up, Clay? Thank you very much for taking my call. So here's my situation, and I know you're pretty close to this type of thing. I, I joined this um, faraway place sports book, okay? And I put some money in with a, with a credit card. A lot of them don't want you to use credit cards, but this one happened to do it. Long story short, I played over a period of time. They didn't pay me my money, so I charged them back so that they would pay me my money. Well, now they're coming after me. What kind of repercussions do I have? What can they do to me? They're threatening me. They're saying they're going to come after me. Please. What do you mean by come after? What do you mean by? Okay, hold on. What do you mean by come after you? Uh, they said they're going to call my wife and call my my mother-in-law, my father-in-law. They're going to call everybody, and they said the offshore, the offshore bet, the offshore betting place said that they're going to. How much money are we talking about? About five, five grand. About five, five grand. Um, all right. Uh, yep. First of all, yeah. First of all, thanks for the call. First of all, the offshore is not in a position of uh, of, of of legal certainty here, right? So the odds of them calling all of your family members over your credit card dispute with them, I would say, is almost zero. Now, I don't know exactly what the uh, what your dispute with them is. I'm guessing that you have canceled a credit card transaction and said it was fraudulent. And they are now upset because they believe you lost money with them. That is the risk of their business. So if they are threatening you, that is insanely beyond the bounds. There's no way they're going to call your wife. There's no way you're going to they're going to call your family. And if they do, you just report them, and they're screwed. So no, that is not that is not something to worry about. Um, and by the way, if you are in the business of any product threatening your consumer probably not a good advice just to just tossing it out there regardless of whether you're in the offshore gambling market or the t-shirt selling business threatening your consumer is not a very solid move i should have asked him what company it was we could have really blown him up all right what we got next cambridge massachusetts uh cambridge massachusetts what you got for me that's my job hello cambridge you're on Hello? All right. Yeah. Cambridge, Massachusetts. What's your question? Uh, I have a 21-year-old who um, I'm having a little problem with. He, I just bought a house six weeks ago, and since I moved... I got to tell you, Cambridge, Massachusetts, just basically giving us everything not to do with a call to OutKick. Not prepared to talk. Not prepared to talk. When you go to him, still not prepared to talk, finally gets started, and then his cell phone goes out. That is a basically like a you know, like the Bill Amansky fielding video they used to advertise all the time on ESPN. That is a Bill Amansky level what not to do play there. All right, who we got uh who we got, Dub? Are you still fielding calls here? Yeah, San Bernardino. San Bernardino. What you got for me, San Bernardino? Hey, Clay, it's real choppy on my end, so I hope you guys can hear me clear on yours. Uh Dub's first day on the job, I called him for some morning phone sex. He said, some morning what? And so I started rattling off. What What happened there? 
Is this know. two straight calls that have dropped, or did somebody drop him? We didn't, didn't drop him. We didn't touch anything here in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, it's a tough break. Tough break to go to two straight calls on the anonymous mailbag and have them die halfway through. This also becomes my hugest gripe that actually exists right now with technology. How can we not get cell phones to work? It is 2018. How is it possible that every cell phone company in the country still has all of these dead zones? Why is every cell phone call not flawless? So I want to somebody needs to get I want to get like the chairman of the FCC on. I want to get every one of these flipping cell phone company executives on with me and I want them to explain why this is still a problem. I don't want to die 40 years from now at the age of 80 and have cell phones still not be working in this country. It was one thing when it was like 1997, cell phones are still new. It was one thing if it was 2001, it's 2004. Why can we not get cell phones to work? Why can I not cons- why do I still consistently have cell phone signals? Now this is- infuriates me. We have had 20 years to get this right. We wouldn't deal with this ki- kind of crappiness in anything else. Like imagine if when you went to turn on your cable, the cable didn't work like 25% of the time. At least 25% of the calls that I have on my cell phone, one person or the other can't hear each other. And by the way, how is the NSA tapping into every cell phone call in America and recording everything that we say? How do they have any idea what we're saying? We got the technology to tap into every cell phone in the country, maybe the world. Why can't they work? Is that too much to ask for? That and plain Wi-Fi drive me insane. Who's up next? Bernardino back on the line. San Bernardino's back on the line. If it, I swear to God, if he drops again, I'm going to strangle the CEO of Sprint. What's up? <laughs> All right, Clay. Severe ball change. Do you go Vaseline or do you go baby powder? Or do you go balls to the wind and go some uh, flaming hot gold bond on there? See, I, I, I don't really have a ball situation. I occasionally, when I know I'm going to go golf, and I know it's like 150 degrees, I'll go with the gold bond on the, on the groin area. Otherwise, I think that product is completely unnecessary. Unless, by the way, they're about to spend a lot of money on this radio show, in which case, I think you got to use it all the time. But I think it's like lotion. My theory on lotion is lotion exists to make you have to use it more. You ever notice that? Like women, my wife goes through like the extra duty bottle sizes of lotion on a regular basis. She comes out of the shower and she's like a seal. Like she could dive on the floor and just slide for like 20 feet in a row because <laughs> of all the lotion that she puts on, right? Yeah. It's unbelievable. And I don't ever put any lotion on and I don't ever notice, you know what? Her skin looks a lot less dry than mine. I think lotion is completely useless. Like, there are some products, again, unless a lotion company decides they want to advertise on the show, in which case I'll start using lotion and talking about how amazing it is, there are some products that I think are completely worthless, and lotion is one of them. Now, I'll give you a limited exception. If you live in a place where it's really, really cold, and you have to, uh, you know, like, it's like, uh, my wife is from Michigan. When you are in Michigan in the winter, and your skin gets so all chapped up, 
then you have an obligation. Like lotion then makes a lot of sense. But for most of us who live in most of the country where it's fairly warm and we don't have to worry about it on like you know 75% of the time, I never put lotion on and I don't feel like my body is, is, is losing at all. But every now and then when I do put lotion on, I feel like the, your body then starts to expect the lotion and you need it even more. Does that make sense? Any of you guys lotion guys? <laughs> No. No, in general, agree with you. The one thing I would say, though, the people who need lotion are the people that walk around with all the cracked up elbows. Have yeah. you ever seen that? Uh, that, that yeah, okay. I, I've seen that. But, but put, I look Put some like, lotion on your damn elbows. But other than here's that. My, here's my other advice. Don't stand underneath the hot water the whole time you're in the shower. If it's in the – this is a big, this is a big uh, thing that I learned. If you have like sensitive dry skin when it gets to be the winter, and this is one of the th- many things that sucks about the winter, if you stand underneath the hot, steamy uh, shower the entire time, then you're more likely to have dry skin issues. If you stand off to the side, you can still kind of enjoy the warmth of the shower, but you don't need to be under it the whole time. That can make a difference. But I think that lotion's totally overrated. I think it's a product that no one needs and the more you use it, the more you need it. I'm trying to think of a, the, of a chapstick. Chapstick is the same way. By and large, most people do not ever need to use chapstick. But if you start using chapstick, your lips start to demand the chapstick. Well, it's I like don't, you got to no, no, be no. tough with yourself. I disagree with you. The same thing as the elbows. It, people that walk around with, with cracked up lips... It's pretty nasty. Most and, people don't. Well, most need. people don't have lips. There's a lot of people with thin lips. But if most you have big, I have big lips, unfortunately. So this uh, is an uncomfortable conversation. No, I'm just yeah. saying when I walk around, like my <laughs> lips will catch a slight breeze. So I, just, I have to have chapstick. You talking in my about your lips makes me so uncomfortable. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, we're talking about it's chapstick. It's like using the word moist. If you use the word moist, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> you talking about your lips uh, makes it like me really uncomfortable. Was it like Jason Martin saying penis? Yeah, Jason Martin. So many things that Jason Martin did made me uncomfortable. Now, uh, here's a veteran move, Clay, because you're right about the hot water in the shower. You can use some cheap, suave conditioner. That on your skin will last longer than lotion. Because the other thing about lotion, go to the store. It's like $18 for a, a damn bottle of lotion. I have no idea what we spend on lotion. My wife goes through lotion. like I mean, lotion costs infinitely more than gas. People don't think about it, but like if you had to buy the same amount of lotion that you do gas, the lotion would be like $4,000 a month. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> All right, what else do we got, Dub? Indiana. Who? Indiana. Indiana. What you got for me, Indiana? Hey, Clay, I am going to Comic-Con in Chicago in October, and I'm meeting Chris Evans. Huge Patriots fan. You got it, plays Captain America. Huge Patriots fan. I'm a huge Packers fan. I'm getting a photo op with him. I want to see if if he'll wear a Packers jersey, an Aaron Rodgers jersey, in the photo op with me. Is that a good idea or no? All right, first question, do you have a girlfriend? Uh, I'm just kidding. You clearly don't if you're going to Comic-Con. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, Look, here's the deal. No, he's not going to win. I would lose a lot of respect for Chris Evans if he puts on your Packer jersey for the photo. He is not a Packer fan. I don't understand the desire to make other people who just happen to be fans. Like, I wouldn't wear it. If somebody comes up and they're like, hey, will you put on this Alabama jersey at your book signing so I can take a photo with you? I would say no. And I would expect that you would respect the fact that I would say that. That's not my team. So I don't know just because he's famous why you would be like, hey, you should put this jersey on. 
What's the Chris Evans? The, the, the Captain America guy? Is that the guy who got divorced and everybody loved him? I get all, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't tell these guys apart. I, I get like the I my kids watch all these superhero movies all the time. Is this racist of me? I can't tell the difference between the Guardians of the Galaxy guy, between the Captain America guy, and between the Thor guy. I'm told these are three different people. I think that's the same dude playing all three different roles. It's just a white dude who's pretty good looking and kind of ripped and a little bit sarcastic. And they all play the exact, like, am I the only person who can't tell the difference between the guy who plays Captain America, the guy who plays uh, the the Thor role, and the guy who's in Guardians of the Galaxy? I think those three guys are the, like, if they were all in the same scene, I think that basically it's like when you have somebody playing their twin, and and you're like, oh, okay, that's the same. Like, I saw the new movie with Blake Lively. By the way, is Blake Lively the best-looking woman in America right now. She's hot. I think Blake Lively, it's rare that I say this, I think Blake Lively right now has the GOAT title of best-looking woman on the entire planet, at least only including America. Because when I say the whole planet, there's like a lot more people that I don't know anything about. They're probably famous in all of the different continents and stuff. Blake Lively is the best-looking woman in America right now. All three, she may be married to one of these three guys for all we know. All three of those guys look the exact same. I thought you're, Ryan you're Reynolds of, looked like them You're too. thinking of Chris Pratt, the one that you said was divorced. Okay, so yeah, are so they all named the same thing too? <laughs> no. Chris Pratt is the actor from Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Pratt is Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And who did he get divorced from? Uh, oh, God, I forget which actress that was. But you're so right. So it was a big breakup. All right, so yeah, Chris because Pratt she guy. Said, oh, uh, that, uh, Anna Faris. Anna Faris. Yeah, Anna Anna Ferris. Ferris. All yes, and All right, so Chris she Pratt, claims that, that when he got into shape and everything, that's when their relationship got out of whack. Oh, so he got ripped and like yeah. he wanted to yeah. be with a better looking He started girl. getting attention from all the ladies. Wouldn't you think you would get a lot more attention from being in a movie star role rather than when you get abs? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I bet Russell Crowe still gets chicks and he's kind of fat and old. Like, I, I don't really buy Anna Ferris's theory there. I think if you're famous, you get chicks. It's not really necessary for you to have abs. Uh, so, one, I'm going, okay, so we got the Gar- the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, by the way. Phenomenal movies, both one and two. I'm actually pretty excited for three. All right, so that's one of the white, that, one of the yeah, white guys. And, then, the Thor, and then the Thor actor is Chris Hemsworth. So they have the same name. Well, and Blake Lively is married to yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Right. Blake Lively is married. Ryan Reynolds, speaking of a guy who's got abs, Ryan Reynolds is a really good-looking guy. I remember him. I know the Deadpool guy is different. So we have the two Chris's that I can't tell apart. Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy guy. And then who is Captain America? Chris is Evans. His name Chris, Evans. Chris too? Yeah. They're all three named yeah. Chris? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Chris what Pratt. an unbelievable. Like, all right, so, so one of those dudes, first of all, it makes sense that I would get them all confused. They all look the exact same. They all three play the exact same role. And they're all three named Chris. And they're all three, they're all three in Marvel movies, right? Correct. I don't know who's doing the hiring at Marvel, but maybe, just maybe, go out and hire a guy who doesn't look the exact same and have the exact same name. Is that too much to ask for? I can't be the only person who can't tell the difference between those three dudes. I'm glad I'm white because otherwise it would be racist to say it. There's a black guy hosting racist. this and he was like, I can't tell the difference between any of those Chris's. I'd be like, I think that black guy's racist. But racist. I'm white, so I can say this. They're all the same to me. Asian guy, I'd be like, I think that, that Asian guy, he's being racist against the Chris's. 
But I'm white, so I can say that. That's the rules, right? You can always say bad things about your race, and nobody can call you racist when you say that. So lucky for me, I'm not going to get fired for saying all three of those guys are basically the exact same person. And I think they're all three playing the rule. I don't know who's representing them at CAA. I think they just like changed their hairstyle a little bit. And they're getting to play all three roles. You got the same dude playing Thor, Captain America, and Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, what else we got, Dub? We got anything else out there waiting? Let's go to California. All right, California, what you got for me? Okay, Clay, my 17-year-old son ruined the family car, had a crash a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's in the shop. So my husband says we should not allow our 17-year-old son to drive for another six months until he turns 18 because he doesn't want us, you know, being held financially liable if he has another crash, which my husband thinks is very likely. My problem is now I have to cart our 17-year-old son around to sports practice, pick him up from school, and my son, my husband has virtually none of these driving responsibilities yeah. in the afternoon. So all of the... Uh, you know, responsibility of carting our 17-year-old son around is upon me and not my husband. I think we should allow him to keep driving when we get the car back. My husband says no go until he's 18. What do you think? All right, good. Let me, a couple questions for you. Was the car accident his fault? Yes. What did he do? He was stopped at a light, and uh, the, the car to his left, got a green turn signal, which he interpreted as a green for him. So he proceeded to go into the intersection on a green arrow, even though he was going straight, and he hit a guy who was also turning left, an oncoming car. Uh Uh-huh. And was there any injury situation with him? No injury. Airbags did not go off. It's about a $5,000 repair. Okay. So, uh, thanks for the call. Uh, first of all, I understand this, uh, this issue of having to drive kids all over the place. My wife has got our kids signed up for, conservatively, our three boys are 10, um, 8, and 4. Now, they've had a couple of birthdays. All right, I got a 10, an 8, and a 4-year-old. They are signed up, all three of them, conservatively, for 4,364 weekly obligations. I swear to God, these kids are scheduled like, I, I, I don't even know what's going on. They're more busy than I am. And my wife is constantly driving them all over the place. So uh, I have suggested before, my wife does not like this idea, that we need an Uber for kids to be taken to all their errands, right? So, it, like, my 10-year-old like has to go to, he's in the Vanderbilt Children's Choir. So he goes to the Vanderbilt Children's Choir, and from our house at the time that he has to be there, which is right around rush hour, it's an hour and a half drive uh, both ways. I mean, like it takes an hour and a half total, but it's so far that you just have to kind of sit there. And so when I drive him, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I just go sit in Panera like an old homeless person and just sit there and have soup. I don't know what else to do. Like I can't go anywhere else. I don't have anybody to hang out with. So I go get chili like a homeless person and just sit in Panera until my kid's done with, uh, with, the, uh, with the show, right? So with his training. So I would love if we had somebody that I could pay like $40 and they would pick him up, you know, a reliable person, uh, i.e. a woman, and they would drive him there and then they would also bring him back. And that was just like, for me, I could pay for that. And there was like an Uber for kids shuttle service. So I understand your point. Here's the deal. Your son is going to have to learn how to drive at some point. And I understand I'm terrified at the idea of my kids being able to drive cars. It's, there's all these accidents and everything else. But I don't know what your husband can do here to argue that you're going to drive around a 17-year-old for six more months 
is not really a valid option. I would think after the accident that your 17-year-old would be hyper-aware of the dangers. I would be more concerned if I were you about the danger facing him from driving than I would be the cost. Like $5,000 sucks, right? But in the grand scheme of things, that $5,000 is gone, and you won't really be thinking about it for very much time in the future. What I would be more concerned about is, is he a good driver? And if the answer is no then you need to spend more time, your husband does maybe, in the car with him getting comfortable with the idea that he's able to drive. Maybe you do it on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. I can't even imagine how stressful that's going to be one day to have to teach my boys how to drive and sit along beside them and think, we're all going to die, we're all going to die, because that's a pretty crazy concept to begin with. I don't think that gets enough attention that suddenly you just give somebody an 8,000-pound car and you say, hey, let's go get on the road and see whether or not you're going to kill us all. Like, that has to be terrifying to train somebody how to drive. So if you don't feel comfortable with your 17-year-old driving, to me, the big issue here is you haven't trained him well enough to drive because what's going to happen in six months that he's going to suddenly be better? Now, the reason why I asked how the accident happened was I think a lot of kids these days, they're texting. They got, like, other kids in the car with them. They're driving too fast. Like, this sounds like it was just an error, Not like it was an error necessarily predicated on his age. As you age, you get better at driving, and then you get to be like 70, and then you're just out there trying to kill people every single day. If you know what I'm talking about right now, like if you have ever been in the car with somebody over the age of 70, that's a lot more dangerous to me than somebody over 16. Like I went driving with my mother-in-law once. Uh, She was driving. I was in the passenger seat. I swear to God, she almost killed us 15 times. And the whole time I was sitting there thinking, oh, my God, she doesn't even realize that she's almost killed us 15 times because old people, like people just react to them all the time, right? It's like they're saving, keeping the accidents from happening. Same thing happens when my wife drives. Same thing. Every now and then I'm in the passenger seat with my wife, and, like, she does something crazy, and then somebody, you ever been in that situation where somebody pulls up next to you And there's, like, some dude who's angry at you and, like, he's flicking you off or, like, he's mad because your wife cut him off. And you're, like, you need a hand signal to let him know that you're, like, I'm I'm more scared (laughs) than you are, dude. Like, I wish that I know she was in the wrong, right? Let him know you agree with him. Yeah, like, he can be flipping you off. He's got the bird up. We should have a hand signal that a husband or a man in the car can give to the angry driver next to him where he's, like, hey, sorry, man. Like, you're in the right. You know, like, I'm as terrified as you are. Like, at least you get to keep driving on, and you're not still in this this uh, automobile of death here. I got to keep letting my wife drive along beside me. Uh, I don't know how that's going to go. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Going to be joined by Jason Whitlock now at Whitlock Jason on Twitter. Newly expanded, Speak for Yourself, airs from 12 to 1.30 on the West Coast, from 3 to 4.30 on the East Coast. How would you assess the new show you guys got rolling so far, Whitlock? It's going great. Uh, Marcellus is doing a fantastic job, and uh, we've introduced some new elements and that I think are working, and so I think the show's doing great. It's setting the table for Lock It In and you know a full day of live television for FS1. All right. Tiger Woods wins his first golf tournament in five years. I bet you had it on. I know you're a big Tiger guy. I bet you had it on, even though there was a lot of NFL football taking place. Sunday, first time in five years. What did that feel like for you? Is it the best comeback story you can remember in the history of sports? Not the best comeback story in the history of sports, because I don't think Tiger Woods' comeback is over until he wins a major title. 
And so I, I think it was great. I enjoyed it. I had four TVs going Sunday, and, you know, Tiger was one, one of the main ones. And, you know, but look, there was 30 guys in that field. And, look, it's a great accomplishment. It, it means that he's playing well to just to make it to the Tour Championship of that final. You had to be playing well. But, you know, when I think of all-time great comebacks, I think about Muhammad Ali coming back after being out of boxing for three years. And I really don't think the culmination of that comeback went full circle until he beat George Foreman and Zaire. I consider that one of the greatest comebacks. And then I think George Foreman winning a heavyweight title at damn near 50 years old or however old he was. But when Tiger wins a major, yeah, I'm going to put it on the same level as perhaps Muhammad Ali. We're talking to Jason Whitlock. Follow him on Twitter at WhitlockJason. You've covered the Kansas City Chiefs for a lot of years when you read a newspaper in Kansas City. Have you ever seen anything like the debut of Patrick Mahomes? No. This is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And just as a sports fan, you know, I, I really root for three teams. I root for, root for all Ball State teams, live and die with them, live and die with the Pacers. And I'm a Chiefs fan because the Colts, I grew up in Indianapolis, but the Colts weren't there when I was a kid. Covered the Chiefs for 16 years. I am a Chiefs fan. This city has wanted a franchise quarterback for so long, and it went like 30 years without drafting a quarterback in the first round. I, you know, I think Todd Blackledge, that 83 draft, they took a quarterback in the first round. It didn't work out. And then they just started getting other people's leftover quarterbacks and free agents. And everybody kept complaining, hey, when are you going to draft your own quarterback? They draft Patrick Mahomes, and this guy, to me, is the second coming of Brett Favre and Steve Young and just a bunch of great quarterbacks all rolled into one. I've never seen an arm like this. I've never seen a start like this. Pairing him with Andy Reid, Tyree Hill, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, Sammy Watkins, a good offensive line. I, I really, people thought I was crazy when I said this after week two. I think the guy's got a chance to throw 60 touchdown passes this year because of where the game's at, where their defense is at. Their defense is going to give up points, and so he's going to have to score. And just who Andy Reid is. He is the Don Coriel of this modern era of football, and he's going to want to throw the football, and he's got the perfect kid with all the right tools. If this team avoids injuries... Patrick Mahomes can throw 60 touchdowns, and to me, he's like the Steph Curry, this lovable offensive engine in the NFL. He's must-see TV right along with Baker Mayfield. Has the NFL got their mojo back? They're getting close. They're getting close. If, if Mahomes and Baker Mayfield keep it going, yeah, I think you, you just have to – now, the the other thing is they got to get this roughing the passer stuff under control. Uh, but, but if these quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, keep being this exciting and they back off the roughing the passer stuff, yeah, the NFL has its mojo back. I argued before the season started that the NFL television partners, Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN, just needed to stop covering the protest and treating it like it was a major story. It seems to me, you may disagree, that this story has just completely vanished. I don't see anybody talking about who's kneeling. I don't see anybody talking about controversy. I think the NFL got to talk with all the television partners and said, hey, look, 
Ratings are down nearly 20%. This is bad for your business. You're basically cutting the legs out from underneath us by covering this as a major news story. Am I wrong to think that this is a concerted effort to just turn the page and be done with this? Because i got to be honest with you, I don't even know what's going on now. I don't know if guys are still protesting or if the media has just decided, you know what, we've covered this enough. What's happening here? Is it the right move? I think it's a combination. I think that the television partners have smartly said, hey, look, that's not part of our TV show. This is a TV show. Uh, If we have a few actors that want to go off script, we don't have to show it. Again, it's our television network. It's the owner's television show. The actors don't get to decide what happens on the television show. I think that's part of it. But I also think that uh, fans and the media, and and I say that the media is is so woke, but, but I think fans are just over it. And I think that a lot – got to remember, this was always just a handful of NFL players. and I, So there's 1,600, 1,700 NFL players. Fifty of them, maybe 100 of them were part of this protest. Who knows? But that means the overwhelming majority of the actors on the NFL TV show weren't down with this. And just like, hey, man, this is stupid. And it's just a gesture. And it's not really – enacting any kind of change or raising awareness about police brutality. It's starting a conversation about the national anthem. And then, quite frankly, Clay, and I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball and just get a little too transparent here, but I think that, and and look, people are going to misunderstand this, but it's just factual. I think that when Jamel Hill's career blew up at ESPN, I think that kind of had a chilling effect on the woke media. And I think that when that thing went kaput, uh, I think people started understanding, like, hey, man, we're doing a lot of things for Twitter that have nothing to do with good television, that have nothing to do with our actual jobs. And so, yeah, you still got the Mike Freemans out there, Bleacher Report, they're going to tweet about this and uh, try to drive that story, but for the over, the majority of like high-profile media working in television and even high-profile media with good uh, writing followings or radio followings, this whole woke thing just doesn't generate television ratings. It's really not good journalism, good broadcasting, good TV, and so I, I think that. When Jamel's thing blew up, I think it people in the media realized, hey, maybe this isn't as good for business as we thought. Interesting that you segue there, because I haven't even mentioned this on the radio yet, but ESPN uh, is led by Jimmy Pataro now, but above Jimmy Pataro is Bob Iger, who probably now is the most powerful man in media, who is the, the, the leader of the Disney Corporation. He said this in an interview last week with The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, I have uh, nothing but praise for the job Jimmy Pataro has done at ESPN. There's been a big debate about whether ESPN should be focused more on what happens on the field of sport than what happens in terms of where sports is societally or politically. And Jimmy felt that the pendulum may have swung a little bit too far away from the field. And I happen to believe he was right. 
And it's something, by the way, that I think John Skipper had come to recognize as well. But Jimmy coming in fresh has had the ability to address it, I think, far more aggressively and effectively. He has brought back some balance. You and me both got attacked a ton for saying that ESPN had decided to go political. Uh, It's amazing how there's been a lot of crickets since the CEO of Disney actually basically came out and said Clay Travis and Jason Whitlock were right. What did you think when you saw those quotes? Yeah, I I thought he was just a responsible leader acknowledging facts. And, you know, I I was glad to see it. Uh, You know, this whole denial that ESPN hadn't been pushed by Deadspin to go really far politically left this denial that that happened was stupid and ridiculous. Any sports fan with a brain could see what had transpired. And so, look, that's why you have to have sometimes change at the top because, again, and I think I believe Bob Iger when he says John Skipper realized he had made a mistake, but I don't think he knew how to untangle himself from that mistake. You go out and make a bunch of promises to people and you tell them it's going to be one way, and then it takes new leadership from Jimmy Pitaro, and then probably, you know, we're getting going way inside baseball here, but, uh, you know, Norby Williamson over there at ESPN has been kind of the hatchet man bringing sanity back uh, to ESPN, and, and he's been free to do that. And, yeah, I think it's been a healthy thing and good for all of sports media. Speaking of good of all sports media, my book has been dominating. I told you uh, when this book came out, I said, and you know, you, I'm not a kind of guy to, uh, to, uh, to, to not expect good things to happen, but I said this book is going to sell like hotcakes, and immediately the next step is going to be your phone is going to blow up, your email is going to blow up, and people are going to say, Jason Whitlock, when are you going to write your book too? As I sit here right now, my book is in the is number thirty in the entire country on Amazon right now. Second straight gay, day around the top twenty five. Has your phone blown up yet? When's your book coming out? <laughs> phone hasn't blown up yet. Look, the problem with me in a book is me sitting down and actually doing it, sustaining the effort for several yep. months of writing a book. That's the whole issue with me. I've, I, I you know. I need to do it. I want to do it. I, I'm I'm happy for the success of your book. I actually bought it on Kindle yesterday and started reading it. You know, I, I support. You know, I know you wanted to send me a free copy, but I like. To I still haven't got people. a copy myself. By the way, the publisher didn't even. It's showing how far down the, the the totem pole I am. The publisher has not even sent me a free copy yet, and we're sold out in Nashville, so I can't even get a copy myself. Well, again, I'm reading your book, uh, bought it, and plan to finish it by this weekend. And hopefully, and so far, it has given me some inspiration about, look, man, if Clay Travis can sit down and write a book, (laughs) and I can't, and I can't, that's really embarrassing for me. And so I do plan to sit down and pump out a book and try to explain to people what's going on with race in America and sports and all that, because uh, I do feel like I have a lot to say and, and want to jump in here and ride the wave. Yeah, you're going to write a bestseller. I have zero doubt about that. I've been telling you that for a year since I sat down and started writing mine. My advice to everybody out there, whoever thinks about writing a book, try to do an hour a day. A lot of people go to the gym, they get on the treadmill, and you try to get in shape, you try to do an hour a day. Don't try to do more than that. 
And some days you're going to sit down, do that hour, and you're going to be like, man, this is crap. <laughs> but you got to be there. Just like some days, some days you go play pickup basketball and you can't hit the broad side of a building. It ain't like you stop playing pickup basketball, right? If you like to do something, do it every day. If you can do an hour, most people can find an hour to do it. Uh, all right, we agree on a lot of stuff. I think you have the most ludicrous opinion you've had in some time arguing that Jameis Winston needs to replace Ryan Fitzpatrick. Make your case. Clay, I, I don't even understand how this is a controversial opinion. One guy was the number one recruit coming out of high school, a Heisman Trophy winner, a national champion at Florida State. One guy has a cannon for an arm. One guy for three straight years in the NFL was showing progress. Look, Jameis Winston's had some off-field issues. No question about it. He's been immature. He's been inappropriate. He's been, you know, borderline criminal. You know, who knows? The courts have to decide that. But on the football field, this guy is a player. And at the end of the day, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have enough talent to compete at the highest level of football, and you got to do that with your most talented player who you've invested a draft pick and a lot of effort in. This is a no-brainer. Ryan Fitzpatrick is what he is. He's a Ivy League guy who has overachieved for short stretches in the NFL. He's not a guy you win a Super Bowl with unless you have some sort of lights-out defense that can shut down everybody. And Tampa's got some defensive talent, but they can't shut down everybody. If the Buccaneers are serious about being a playoff threat and a threat in the NFC, you got to go with Jameis Winston. It's a no-brainer decision. You're wrong, but i got to tell you this because you're going to love it. Guess what my betting record is right now? We were talking about Lock It In, which is the show that comes on right after yours. We're talking to Jason Whitlock. He's on Speak for Yourself from uh, 3 to 4.30 Eastern, noon to 1.30 Pacific. Set your DVRs. We're on right after him, 4.30 to 5.30 Eastern, 1.30 to 2.30 Pacific. Uh, When you uh, gamble, I know you like to say that you don't respect the picks. i got to be honest with you. I don't know that it's possible for me to be worse when it comes to gambling on baseball. I have now lost nine consecutive baseball bets on the television show. I have given out nine different bets on Major League Baseball, and I have gone – 0-9 on those Major League Baseball bets. Now, I'm not pretending that I know much about baseball at all, but that's pretty unbelievable that you could start off 0-9 in baseball, especially baseball, because it's almost impossible to predict. You play 162 of the damn games. Nobody knows what's going to happen from one game to the next. Let me tell you what's worse. If you've been tracking, you know, I've been appearing on Lock It In every Friday. I don't think I've got a pick right, and I've given out (laughs) five picks. Both Fridays, and I don't think I've got one right. It's been incredible. And so, look, my nickname, and, you know, I'm very honest about me and gambling. I am a horrendous gambler. I'm a bad, they can make a movie, bad gambler. My nickname is Fade Lock. And so I'm telling you, if you're watching my picks, just fade them, and you'll be a very rich man. Have you ever psychologically, like, that's where I am now with baseball, where, like, my most recent pick, I did the opposite of what I thought I should, should do because I have so little faith in my baseball picks, and I still lost? Like, I don't even know what to do. I'm kind of amazed right now. I kind of want to keep betting baseball just to figure out how long the cold streak can go. Look, I, I'm a bad gambler, but I'm also a very overconfident, arrogant person, so I'm never going to go against what I believe. I always think I'm going to be 
And look, I, I got it naturally. My, my, I've said this on air plenty of places, and I'm not joking, man. I come from a gambling family. My mother taught me and my brother how to gamble when we were just little kids. Her, my, my grandfather, her father, was the numbers guy in Indianapolis. No, and it's a difficult to explain, but and my dad, a gambler. So I, I got it naturally. I'm just a bad gambler. My mother and father, grandfather, uncles, all that, they were all good gamblers. I'm just bad. We used to shoot craps damn near every day when I was in college. And I was, I'm horrible at craps, but I love it. I mean, craps is my game. I, let me, very quickly, I graduated from college in May of 1990. And you have those post-graduation parties or whatever, and I got like $3,000 in cash gifts at my post-graduation party. I immediately drove from Indianapolis back up to Ball State to shoot craps with my best friend, Frank Barnes. He took every dime of my graduation money within two hours shooting craps. (laughs) That is an incredible story. Uh, Write it in the book. Put it in the book. Uh, what can people expect today on Speak? What you got scheduled? You oh, I got a Jameis Winston take that we're going to start the show with. It'll be a little bit different. I'm going to be in full wolf mode. If you've ever seen me go wolf <laughs> mode, it's going to be special today. All right. That'll be at 3 o'clock Eastern, right? At, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I'm crossed all over on the time zones. It's tough to get them all right. 3 o'clock Eastern, Jason Whitlock. Thanks for getting up early with us, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Clyde. That's Jason Whitlock. Follow him on Twitter at Whitlock Jason. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.